water. Yo, what is up, everyone? How y'all doing? Welcome to another episode of the Sound of Water podcast. Hope everyone is staying safe, healthy, and as always, most importantly, staying hydrated. Last week, if you tuned into our first episode, we introduced the philosophy of being like water. Well, it turns out being like water is not just a great philosophy to live by, but it's something that humans already do simply by existing. According to the U.S. Geological Survey, up to 60% of the human adult body is water. The brain and the heart are both composed of 73% water. The lungs are about 83%. The skin contains 64% water. Muscles and kidneys are both 79%. And even our bones are 31% water. If that doesn't make you want to go crack open an ice-cold bottle of Kirkland Signature right now, I don't know what will. It truly is the essence of life. With that being said, thank you everyone for tuning in. I'm David, your co-host, and I have with me my, my homeboy, my co-host Josh, who will do the honors of introducing our very first guest. All right, first off, I'm mad that you plugged Kirkland right there. You thought you could just fly that Kirkland plug right there. Okay, okay. You know I had to do it, man. You know I had to do it. All right. Well, uh, welcome back, everybody. So uh, happy to have you guys listening again. Very excited for this uh, first interview that we got going here. If you tuned in last time, you know that it is a great friend of mine. His name is Ricky Blue. If you want to say hello to the people, Ricky. What's going on, man? How y'all doing? Uh, shout out to Josh, man. Windfall for life, David. It's great to be here with you. Um, yeah, bro. This feels Thank like some you. of our uh, some of our long uh, long conversations at night about life and music. Yep, those are the vibes. Those are the vibes. So, um, so we got Ricky here. I'm gonna give just a little bit of intro. So, I had the pleasure of meeting with him and working with him several years ago. And me and him have just hit it off pretty nicely. So very blessed to know him. He is originally from Pleasant Grove, Texas. And Grove he's been- Groveside! <laughs> Groveside, worldwide. Infy, infy, infy. And he's been uh, around in Dallas. He's worked in Tennessee and LA. And he is back here in Dallas not too long ago. And um, just some of the recent projects that he's done, he has just been pumping out music. He did the Black Tape in 2019, and then Lost Files did War, which is exclusively on Bandcamp. And then he's got Free, which was just released after George Floyd. And he's uh, got a lot of stuff in the works, got a lot of visuals, got a lot of music coming, and um, just he's been grinding. So enough uh, enough about me telling you about Ricky I'm gonna pass it over to Ricky himself you know how about you just give a little bit of background about who you are um how you grew up what what got you into music and uh, just just let the people know Ricky who are you okay uh I I, I want to tell you how much I love that question uh, <laughs> telling the people who I am um it's crazy man um I'm my mama's youngest and it feels as if now I'm more so of a big brother in a lot of senses. Um, my career, my trajectory um, has been one of those things where I've really been an example of the anti-industry trajectory. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've made an example of betting on yourself and, and you know, just really believing in what you have to offer. 
So, you know, coming from Pleasant Grove, it's not the most desirable region of Dallas. It's uh, not the most financially um, affluent area. Um, probably one of those blights on the on the map of Dallas, if you if you you know, mm. saying looking at it on that area. But there's so much culture there, and the way that I was raised was just so full of, you know, culture and 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 knowledge, man, that I was given two different types of doctrines. You know, when you go outside and people tell you that, you know, you're just a nigga or that, you know, you're just another statistic at home. I was given an entirely different doctrine and I was given heritage. I was given history. I was given culture. And so that allowed me to grow up with a completely different vantage point than those of my Pleasant Grove neighbors. Um, mm. And being one for that and one for the end, the, 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 the dichotomy creates, um, a, a, a small, a small piece of uh, delusion when it comes to like your dreams, you know, because it's not set up for people like us to get out of where we've been placed. So, mm. luckily, my mom, man, she rest in peace her soul. She was always um, encouraging of me to not only do what I wanted to do, but even where there wasn't a way, like to to find find solace in that and know that, you know, I was creating a way. So, mm -hmm. man, everything that, that I've been through um, has influenced me to be the artist that I am, the person that I am. And um, I owe it all to my, my, my mom, my dad, my, my hood, my, my lows, my losses, you know. And I don't know, man, I'm just hearing an amalgamation of a whole bunch of shit, man, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, now it's just like being an example, understanding the responsibility that I do have in the platform that I've created and then, you know, going about it consciously. Definitely. So, so what got you into music? Why, why did you think that that was your lane? You needed to get into that. It was crazy. My dad, my dad wrote my first rap ever. I was four years old and uh, it was for a song about public safety and crossing the street with me and my brothers and sisters. So we had like this, this group called the blue kids and uh, the song was called, you better watch yourself. And it was about looking both ways. <laughs> it, was, it, it was about looking both ways before you cross the street. When's that coming out, man? <laughs> that's that's dead stocked. That's uh, been there. And I won a lot of uh, won a lot of talent shows in elementary school for that one. That's yeah. dope. That's dope. Yeah, get me and my brother to do our verses, and uh, I'll get you a hundred dollars for sure. <laughs> so, did did your family support you getting into music? My fat man, it's crazy thing. Um, my family cultivated my love for art. My family provided the love, provided the the setting for it to even develop. You know, um, we had a hip hop group, uh, the first family of righteous hip hop, and it was called Southern Kingdom. So all, you can still YouTube and Google, <laughs> you know. Uh, and you'll actually hear probably one of my first prolific verses was this uh, song called Knowing His Name. And uh, the thing about Southern Kingdom, uh, all of our music was all about the elephant of not only our people, but the most high. And it was like non-secular. It wasn't like, you know, we didn't have too much, too many worldly themes in our music, you know? Mm. And uh, yeah, man, it, it was just like, I don't know. It was cool. It gave me um, my first my first experience in creating music and being a part of something. So naturally. And then when, when was that? Like 2004 to 2008. Goodness. So you've been yeah. at it for a minute. 
if you, if yeah, you really I mean, if you and, don't count that four-year-old thing yeah <laughs> I mean, and even then and even then you know I, i've performed at american airlines before people knew my name mm-hmm. you know so like as, as a little kid i was at american airlines like rapid you know what i'm saying so mm-hmm. all of these things man um my family like I, I guess that gave me the advantage to where wasn't too much new to me or wasn't too much foreign you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. like i, I knew Natural. how I, went, I knew how shows when i knew how to perform I, yeah i used to be shy but, but luckily i got out of that you know <laughs> so yeah man it, it was everything that i've been through like from my upbringing to Everything, man, it prepared me to do this right now. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. So you've been been doing music for a minute, and I, I really liked saying, how you were. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. And I was just saying, I didn't really get my start on the mic until probably consciously uh, after my mom passed. So I mm. believe in that, and that gave me my voice. It gave me the pain. It gave me the reason, the purpose, and um. From then, you know, I got my start producing. You know, I was mm. producing and chopping up beats on the NPC One Thousand. So <laughs> I didn't want. I don't. I, I didn't want. I don't want to shit on you know where I come from or where where it all started at originally because I think that's where I get my ear for for you know for beats to just like my beat selection because like I, I used to really you know make my own shit like that. So when did your mom pass? Uh, December fifth, two thousand eight. I was mm. a junior in high school. Yeah, I was 17, man. I was turning 18 next two months. And uh yeah, man. Um everything changed. Every the everything. Everything I thought. So So you said that um you started taking, I would say, your craft more seriously, more consciously. And I really yeah. think that you have a strong belief that you have a responsibility as an artist to use your platform in the right ways. So yeah. You go a little bit into that, you know, what, what's been your experience with being a thought leader and, and feeling like you're responsible for, for leading this kind of change? Man, um, I think the, the most important thing or the most, the easiest thing to probably relate to is the fact that like, you know, I'm not doing something that my family don't know that I'm doing. Like everybody in my family knows that I'm doing it, you know? So like if I was to lie or to promote things that weren't, of me or of righteousness or, or whatever, I'm going to hear about it from somebody, <laughs> you know? So when it comes to um, the responsibility, man, like when it comes to my heritage and knowing that, you know, I don't have to be tasked with changing the world, but as a tribe of Judah, like I am supposed to blow the trumpet. I'm supposed to get people's attention. I'm supposed to wake people up. I'm supposed to be that spark for people. And uh, that's something that, you know, regardless of, um, your own religious or spiritual ideology, I believe that's that's a good thing. That's a great thing. And I mm-hmm. think if if my people and if people in general understood that, you know, they would stop looking for, you know, uh their purpose in life and understand that their life is meant to like the meaning of life is like making it have a purpose and creating a purpose for yourself rather than trying to find something, you know? Mm. Yeah, that's really what has helped me, you know, not looking for the road I'm supposed to be walking, you know, and just walking in faith and knowing that I'm going to get there if I continue to, you know, aim towards righteousness. Mm -hmm. So do you think um, having that mindset kind of led you more towards being 
more of that anti-industry rapper and, you know, not conforming to what the mainstream is? You know, definitely, man. Definitely. Um, it's just like when you know what you have to offer, you know, you can't cheapen yourself. And I know what it feels like to compromise and to cheapen and to go along with things that probably don't resonate with, with what I believe. So, um, yeah, definitely, man, that, that unorthodox upbringing definitely gave me, a, um, I don't know, a different understanding of the industry. And, and, and in that different understanding, it gave me faith to go on that, that road and travel. Well, I'm hoping that uh, it, it kind of feels like to me that the, the industry with hip hop, it's just the general vibe and what people are, uh, are, are vibing with is more conscious rap. Like, obviously, there, there, there's going to be, you know, you got to have the hype stuff, I mean, naturally, but I yeah. feel like, especially with this younger generation that is so entrenched in hip hop, that people are really fiending for substance, for right. people to be really talking about real stuff and be, be integrated into these issues. Like, right. not, not right. just be like a, like a flyby, but we're going to be here for a little, little while. Yeah, no, definitely, man. And and what I learned about consciousness and, and even I, you know, I hate the term conscious rapper just because it assumes that, you know, other people aren't. And, mm -hmm. and I believe everybody is. And I think the, the real consciousness is understanding that you don't have to choose, that mm -hmm. you don't have to choose between uh, hype and substance. Mm -hmm. Like, and so where I've been able to, I don't know, infiltrate that, that, you know, way of thinking is that I, I removed that I removed the the partition of mm -hmm. consciousness and and it's weird because it's almost like my own brand of consciousness. It's almost like my own way of thinking and that like I'm able to show people like, hey nigga, you know you could think like this. And uh, although <laughs> you don't have to think like that, it's just a cool way to fucking think about it. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? And not only can you think like that, but but we'll be raging in the club while we're thinking oh, like me. that. <laughs> oh me, oh me, oh me. <laughs> And you know, it's crazy, like even with records like Level Two, I didn't realize the impactful nature of something like that in 2017. And then in 2020, lyrics like, don't read Miranda's if you're gonna shoot with our hands up, mm -hmm. like really, <laughs> really resonates a little bit more closely than it did when I first, you know, you know, put that record out. So it's, it's really great to see that, you know, if you stay true to yourself and you, tr and you stay consistent to, you know, your morals, like, the music don't like the life don't change. The music, it's timeless. You know, and the music it's timeless, bro. Like and, and, it, and it can be played at any moment, and that's something that that's one of those many moments of you know satisfaction that I have when like just as an artist, like okay, nothing, anything else may not mean shit, but like that means something to me, you know. Mm -hmm. Hey, you got to speak your truth. I think that no, for sure. that's, for that's, sure. what, that's what we all got to strive towards. You got to find yeah. what that truth is first, though. Yeah. Some, people, some people don't oh, know what man. it is. You know, and, and a lot of people are living by their parents' truth. And a lot of people are living by their preacher's truth. And a lot of people are living by their most influential peers' truth. And so when you really figure out that, like, even in myself, like, in my own religious upbringing, like, it wasn't, I didn't agree with everything, you know? It wasn't too many things I didn't agree with, but I had to like even with, with with faith or just like the most high or just understanding like spirituality like it gotta really make sense to you you gotta really believe it for you not for nobody else and when those mm -hmm. things start to not make sense you gotta make things make sense to you by researching and, and, and mm -hmm. solidifying and, and i believe 
that that is a bigger part of life. You know what I'm saying? Understanding your relationship with with the Most High, where your place is in the universe. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of people don't don't really think of that because they're either atheists or anything like that. But you know, outside of the God complex, you know, just understanding where you are is always important. And, and I had to reassess where I was a lot of times to really even figure out where I was going next. I know you talked about when when your mom passed. That's what really propelled you to pursue a career in music. But can you can you think of a moment where it was a breakthrough moment for you personally, where you you know where you were like I'm good enough to do this, and you you really built up the confidence. Nigga, yes. Uh, when was it? Well, I was like producing for like I was there shouting all the mother niggas like as a as a friend. And like it was just something that clicked in me, and I was like, I can rap better than these niggas. Like, <laughs> and it was not, not not even in a hating way, but just like in a confidence way. Like I had been hiding from my voice for so long, hiding behind production, that like it ended up being something that like, man, I've I've found out that the, the the universe will conspire for me at least. It will conspire to give me what I actually want. And so other people might see it as fate or see it as luck or whatever, bro. But like, I knew I really wanted to rap. So in so many ways, my laptop broke. I sold my NPC for three hours of studio time. And when I sold my NPC 1000 for three hours of studio time, I knew that I really wanted to do this. Cause it was like, it was a terrible deal, number one. It was like a horrible deal. <laughs> but outside of that, it spoke volumes to like what I was willing to give up in order to do this shit, man. You know, those I don't even remember what fucking what songs I recorded, but like I just actually talked to the guy I sold it to today, so that's why it's really funny. And uh, yeah, it's just <laughs> that it looks that like was it was a good investment. Oh no, definitely. Oh yeah, every time I think about, it, I'm like, man, I'm glad I sold that shit. But then mm-hmm. I'm like, fuck, I need that. I only made this one, so. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those things. It's bittersweet. Mm-hmm. Well, so we've been talking about you using your platform, um, being conscious, but, you know, pretty much just being you. And I know that recently you were at the protest in Dallas, right? Yes. After uh, the George Floyd killing. And yes. uh, if you could, if you could go a little bit into that. And also, you know, there was that, that little viral tweet and the little video that happened and you know, how about you just go into it? Let's, let's hear your thoughts. Why were you there? Yeah. Um, man, it's like moments in history happen or you realize that like history is happening for your eyes and much like you guys, you're like, damn, like people going to read about this time and 20 years, 10 years, five years from now, like what would I look back and say that I was during this time? So instead of just being a part of the, the, the general uproar, I really wanted to see, you know, what was going on and, and you know, offer my support in my platform. If I do consider myself as a community leader or somebody that people look to. So going out there, you know, I didn't, I wasn't seeking to be seen. I wasn't seeking to, um, you know, commandeer anybody's, uh, you know, organization or their movement. But, um, yeah, man, when I got there, I started to see, like, just the complete disregard for humanity from the police department. And that's something that I'm used to. But when you see it, when, it, when it's really us versus them, you know, 
regardless of creed, race, or whatever. Um, it's, a, it's a telling moment. It's extremely telling of not only America, but where America places us. So, um, yeah, man, when I, when I went out there, I really was just observing. I was trying to figure out how I could help improve. What could I bring to the, to the general conversation? And um, what I noticed majorly was that a lot of the issues, because I think this was the protest right after George Floyd's death. Mm-hmm. So um, what I noticed that a lot of people were conflating a lot of the actual issues going on in America with what was going on with the, with the protest. And although I believe there's a lot of issues, you know, I think there's a time and place for everything. And I think that was for George Floyd. And so um, there were two videos that kind of went crazy. And that was one where um, those peaceful protests all day. We had walked around. We had made a city hall and, you know, walked the whole block and came back. And when we came back, did a demonstration on the stairs. And um, the riot, the riot squad pulled up. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I think it's kind of obvious that when niggas in riot gear pull up, that's going to make the people who aren't doing anything a little bit uneasy. Mm. So riot gear guys pull up and start getting information. And so at that point, we like, oh, shit. So naturally, the crowd moves towards the, the guys in their riot gear. And respectfully, you know, had a face-off, standoff for what they were doing, asking them, what are y'all doing here? We're being peaceful. We're, we're protesting, we're demonstrating. What is the actual issue with us being there? And it just shows you that there is no preventive measures taken. There is, it's literally us, them. And mm-hmm. so they showed us where they stood. And um, during that moment, you know, when we were facing off with the police, I was really trying to have, you know, conversations with them. And, you know, of course, they weren't trying to have no conversation. But um, you started seeing the same police officers were standing in front of being pelted with, like, rocks and eggs and, and things like that. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I hate the police just as much as the next person. But what I do also understand is that, you know, uh, there's a limit to a man and how much disrespect he's going to take, no matter what badge and no matter what, what he got going on. So if you're not ready to, you know, engage in that energy, there's certain things that you shouldn't do in order to not get that energy. And uh, the people on the front lines understood that, you know, but it was guys in the back that were throwing rocks and literally hiding their hand, you know, throwing, throwing eggs and things like that. So the video, I showed that moment when like it was happening. I'm seeing it in slow motion. Like, I'm seeing the girl in front of me get hit with a fucking baton. I'm seeing the like the result of what was going on, like in fast motion. Feel me? And I'm like, yo, some people gonna fucking die if this keeps happening. Like, are people gonna get really hurt? You know? So like, I looked up and scanned, like, just to see where it was all coming from. Man, I saw a couple guys, and as I walked over, a couple of them ran off. And one of the guys who was still there mid throwing, I'm, I'm like, dude, do you not understand? that like this is not helping like i could literally die for that and you will get away because when they look for the culprit bro they're not gonna look for somebody to look like you they're gonna look for somebody to look like me and and i think a lot of the the movement is being um stifled by people who don't know how to help um don't know how to 
conduct themselves during things like this. And, and also don't really have any type of emotional responsibility towards the issues. A lot of people just want to get out of the house. A lot of people just want to fuck shit up. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of times those people don't look like me. So that's where the problem occurs, where people that we assume to be allies aren't really helping us. We're making it worse for us. And they can walk away safely while the conditions for us continue to get worse and worse. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to see for myself, man. And I think that 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 was really um, enlightening for me to see, you know, uh, shit. I was throwing tear gas back at the motherfuckers. I was, you know, like, it was really like a war zone, man. And, um, oh, man. It, it just, it was really telling of where we are as a people, where we are as a country. And uh, I think everything was necessary. I didn't think to do throwing the rocks and the eggs was necessary. I think every building that burned down was necessary. I think everything was necessary. Mm. Well, I think it's a, uh, like uh, the point that you were talking about where a lot of the people, it it's hard to tell who's really for it and, and who's just kind of bandwagoning in a sense. But in a, in a way, I do think that it it's a great thing that, that these issues are getting to the point where people are feeling compelled and obligated to bandwagon in a sense, like, 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 like years ago, I mean, when all these killings and stuff happened, it was like, not nearly as much media reception, not nearly as much, um, many people just talking about this kind of stuff. And now it's gotten to the point where it's like, yo, like, this is it. Like, where you where where do you stand yeah not for real but but to another point where you were talking about i think that it's so critically important now if if ever to identify what are we fighting for like what what are the goals what how do we get there and that that was the thing that that really struck me because when i looked when i looked when i finally looked up and i was looking around and I realized we were just sitting ducks at an intersection and that the, the dialogue probably wasn't the most conducive dialogue to change and that things just became reactionary and almost um, regurgitated, crowd, mm-hmm. uh, crowd-based loaded words, you know? Mm. And, and that led me to then um, form like, you know, a community a community peer project with my boys to figure out what we could actually do as far as organization because if they're doxing people and 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 going after people afterwards you know we have to not only protect the movement but we got to protect our identities and our integrity and i think that's probably more important than a lot of people really understand because you know leadership is ego a lot of times and mm. I don't always identify with our leaders. I don't always identify with the leaders that they place before us because they they are not my leaders. They don't resonate with what I resonate with. They don't. They're not. They're not our constituents. They 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 don't care about where we're from. So how could they care about what we care about? You know. So a lot of times, man, like well, even with that time in particular, me and my homies understood the same gripe, like. Yeah, we can be upset, but what do we do after we're upset? What do we do after we burn all these cars? What do we do after we 
you know, throw these rocks at the police. And then, okay, then you start to see police departments getting defunded. Okay, now people understand they can't talk to City Hall without a um, nonprofit organization. Okay, so it just takes more and more organization and, and, and people being fed up with just being satisfied with being mad. And I don't think me being mad, being mad serves me anymore. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't help me. It doesn't make me feel better. Um, yeah, so I definitely agree with that sentiment, man, for sure. Yeah, it's time to channel these emotions into actionable steps and to change. And, and it really takes, we got we to gotta know where we're headed. No, nah, for real. You got to know where you want to go. You got to know where you've been. So all these things are, you know, uh, multifaceted. And it takes a little bit more than just yelling and making cool posters and walking around in circles. Mm-hmm. But some people, you know, well, that's their lane. No, for sure. I mean, every, <laughs> like I said, like I said, everything is necessary. Like mm-hmm. from people to to the to the buildings to even the discourse is all necessary. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so do you have any thoughts on um, Black Lives Matter that you want to give, um, even like a movement or just the belief in general? Yeah, for 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 the for the for the sentiment and for the saying Black Lives Matter, I think um, it's done a lot of good as far as transracial relations. And I don't mean you know that I just mean across the board, um, people understanding the magnitude of the actual problem. Um, I think the problem with the organizations come when the leadership isn't clearly outlined. It maybe that's a Maybe that's something that was intentional. Maybe we don't need a Al Sharpton or you know anybody of past pedigree to reinforce our current problems. Maybe we need new leaders. Maybe we need new movements that that, that move without the stigma of those attached to it. So although I'm um, although I'm optimistic of you know the purity of the Black Lives Matter um, movement. I'm still, um, I'm still slightly skeptical, man. Uh, especially when people can just conflate a, a, a saying and then turn it into what they deem as a terrorist group. The fucked up part is that the Klan has been terrorized in America for hundreds of years and still hasn't gotten that same type of classification. So when these, when these groups are grouped in the same conversation, it's quite confusing to the uninformed uh, consumer. And um, I think that I think that's highly dangerous because it gives uninformed and ignorant people a leg to stand on when it comes to real issues. And um, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm my skepticism doesn't outweigh my optimism. So I think going forward, man, we'll just have to see. You know, um, I saw an article the other day that said Black Lives Matter is probably the biggest movement in America ever and unbeknownst to me you know we were just demonstrating we didn't know we were, you know what i'm saying we don't know the the leaders and the, the representatives in each state or the organizers or the people that put these events together so we're just led to hope that you know these people share the same um same grievances as us and that these people understand like what's really important to us and not just the social media, um, you know, backlash and things like mm. that. Yeah, David and I had a had a brief conversation about this before where 
it, it's almost like a pros and cons um, argument with Black Lives Matter because one of the issues, like especially like like with the Black Panthers before, you got Huey Newton and Bobby Seale, obviously the the people at the forefront, the leaders, the ones that tell you this is what we're about. If people right. deviate away from that, then they'll keep them in check. Like, no, we have it right here. This is what we're about. But right. because Black Lives Matter does not have that central leadership or that figurehead to identify clearly. What happened to uh, Bobby Steele though? What happened to, what happened to? They're out. Mm-hmm. That, so that's the next point is that some people were actually arguing that the beauty of Black Lives Matter is there isn't a centralized leader that you can target and be like, yo, we need to dog this person because right. it is just a completely grassroots organization. Right, so right. I, think th- I think there's some beauty and effectiveness in it in, in that we're trying something new, but I, I definitely hear you on the skepticism and the risk, like th- that lack of transparency. Just because we don't know who's behind, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, okay, so even, okay, we, are we gonna act oblivious to COINTELPRO? Are we mm. literally about to act like counterintelligence programming isn't one of the biggest tools of our government to not only infiltrate, but to, you know, um, destroy any type of resistance organization that, that we've seen. Mm-hmm. So like my skepticism doesn't come from the movement necessarily, but it just comes from the fact that like- History. Yeah, and it's like, if, I, if I'm looking at history, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. It's, you know, I guess you never, you never know. You know what I'm saying? Every industry that's out here from the food complex and to, to the pharmaceutical industry to um, the prison system, to everything is designed to kill us. Everything, everything. No, literally everything. From the things, <laughs> no, like just stop and think about it. Everything is designed to shorten our life, you know? And naturally, I don't know if it's survivor's uh, apprehension <laughs> or anything, man, but yeah, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just not in a rush to taste the Kool-Aid. Yeah, because on, on the flip side of the argument that Josh was just talking about, about not having a centralized leader, that's actually, from what I've seen, a big criticism as well, because it, it gives the general public a very conflicting picture about who exactly Black Lives Matter is, because you have celebrities, athletes with the biggest platforms coming out and speaking out in support, but then you turn on CNN and Fox News, and when they talk about Black Lives Matter, all they do is show rioters, like looting a target or like burning a building down. And it's like it's like it's like yo that's not them and obviously it's not them but doesn't it work better if they say that it's them mm-hmm. doesn't it allow people to have a smear campaign smear campaign on you know the one progressive thing that is trying to highlight the injustices in america Right. So I guess the point of me bringing that up would um, was just wondering what you think about doesn't that just feed into the argument that maybe a central leadership that is recognized by public needed by the movement so that they can't so that the news outlets can't just paint such a contrasting picture like that uh, for the general public to just bash. I think they're going to do it anyway, bro. And the best thing we can do is um, cultivate our leaders. And the ones that do step up, you know, we protect them and we, when we, and we champion them and we, and we show them that they're not alone. And um, for me, 
I think that's what the change is in 2020, that we are all Martin Luther King. We are all Malcolm X. Mm. We are all the people that we looked up to because there was no other, there, were, there wasn't no Malcolm X before Malcolm X. So how could there even be another Malcolm X before Malcolm X said, hey, I'm going to be the nigga to step up and be that. So for us, man, in 2020, I think a lot of the old ways of going about things have just played out. So maybe even the way of looking at things, maybe in the way of, uh, that we're expecting things to change and the fact that we're looking for leaders was actually halting our progress because we are the leaders that we want to be. We are the leaders that we need, each and every one of us. Mm. Hey, yo, I like that. I ain't write that down. It's all good. Down. We'll, we'll just... That was a freestyle. <laughs> that, was a, that was a dover. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, on that same vein, and, and just looking towards history and how our country has been, how we've gotten to where we are now and where we're headed. Uh, a lot of people are having a lot of, um, I would say, good and substantial criticism for the, the case for white supremacy, for the case of just the founding of this nation being built on injustices. And a lot of people are airing their grievances with that, with toppling statues. And I know that a lot of that is a lot of the emotional response that you mentioned before, where, where it's almost like we need to channel that into productive means. But um, David, if you, if you want to jump on this, because I've been hijacking a lot of these topics, but, but talking about some statues. Yeah, so I mean, that this is a, you know, when we talk about the movement being different this year, this has definitely a, a, been a hot topic. So just to highlight um, a couple of the, the events surrounding the tearing down of statues. So uh, the first notable one happened in June 11th, on June 11th, um, where the Confederate statue of Jefferson Davis, who is, uh, who served as the president of the Confederacy from 1861 to 1865, that statue was torn down in Richmond, Virginia. And then just over this past weekend, 4th of July weekend, protesters in Baltimore tore down the statue of Christopher Columbus, actually threw it into the harbor as the fireworks are going off. And just statues of Columbus just around the country have been, have been being torn down. And then the biggest one getting the heat right now is Mount Rushmore. You know, there's been growing petitions to tear that down. So Ricky, I know you're out in Atlanta right now, and there was that big protest out in Stone Mountain. Uh, to remove that Confederate monument that's attached to that. Um, so what are, what are your thoughts surrounding these kind of new movements that are coming up this year? I love it. Okay. And I, I want to spell it out. I-L-O-V-E-I-T. I think the complete dismantling of white supremacy and the, um, the, the ugly history that we've subconsciously celebrated like every day of our lives through the civil rights. Like these statues didn't come up yesterday. These statues have been there being beacons of, of hate. And, and honestly, you know, white people should be more mad that Confederate statues are still, you know, standing in, in 2020. Like if these things are in opposition to America, if these things don't represent the core values of, you know, our unalienable rights in America, like, if these things really do stand for what they said they stand for, the people that's complaining about it wouldn't even fix their mouths to complain about it. But 
That's the American pie that they tried to sell us. That's exactly what they wanted. This, this, this um, American dream that they sold us, you know, came with fine print and, and, you know, it's really almost one of those things you have to experience for yourself to really understand. So for me, man, I think the fact that American history is being, um, is being rinsed of the whitewash that it was given is great. You know, I think that there will have to be education reform. There will have to be a government reform in order for people to realize that, yo, because if you think about it, like, Christopher Cummings is just like the, the statue. That's just the beginning of the enlightenment. That's just the beginning of people understanding who was here first or, or who was actually here or the true story behind the transatlantic slave trade or if there were actually black people here first before they pulled up with that bullshit, you know. Um, you know, a, a, an entire destruction of the system will have to occur in order for people to really understand why America is what it is, man. And I think it's beautiful. I think it's amazing. I think now finally people are seeing that, you know, white people aren't the, this perfect group of uh, saviors that gave us all Christianity and, 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 and iPhones. And that there's a deeper fucking sinister history of America. And, and I think that's going to help everyone, man, because once people realize that, hey, black people ain't just been tricked, or that it has been bullshit going on and that we have been constantly ostracized, not only by mm. the police department, but by the actual monuments that they've chosen to erect in our own neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. What you thought was gonna happen? They gonna tear that shit down, get that shit the fuck up out of mm-hmm. here, no. <laughs> so I love it, man, I love it. I love the idea of Christopher Columbus being thrown into the water on fucking July 4th. That, that, brand, that brought real smiles and joy to my heart, man. So that, that reminded me of, so American history, one of the most celebrated events is the Boston Tea Party, right? And that's such, they're pretty much the same thing. They, as, as, a, as an act of protest, they threw all the tea into the harbor and it's celebrated as such a big act of independence. Um, and what I don't understand is, I think, I think not just black people, but all minorities should be celebrating the tearing down of Christopher Columbus statue. Hey, I mean, he, he committed genocide against total pop, like populations of, of natives. Hell you know, yo. It wasn't just fuck Christopher Columbus. <laughs> so w- what would you say about the, the counter argument that people throw that um, just because a, a nation's history is embedded in something like white supremacy doesn't mean you should necessarily erase it. That that there's there's this argument that it's actually more powerful to to acknowledge it and learn from it rather than trying to erase it completely. Uh, yeah, I, I think after we acknowledge it, we can destroy it. And I think that's what's happening. People have fucking acknowledged it for 600 plus years. And now the acknowledgement has been in our face this whole time. Now we're destroying that shit, man. Bring that shit down. Fuck them folks. Fuck all them folks, bro. No. So what what does that really look like though? Because like if if we're talking about it looks like it look it look like new textbooks. It looks it looks like new uh, education boards. It looks like you know a complete uphaul of things that we've been told. It was true. It takes mm-hmm. it takes a very um, honest eye and an honest ear, and it takes oh man. It takes a lot, bro, and and, and mm-hmm. the work the work that it takes, a lot of people aren't willing to put in, but they ain't got no choice, because the people are gonna demand truth. The people are gonna demand that 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 equality that 
they dangle in front of our faces. So like, yeah, man, I, I, I don't, I don't fear for, um, the, the difficulty of how we, how can we get back to normal? There is no normal. The normal was fucking racist. The normal disenfranchised anybody that didn't look like the founding fathers. Like, fuck normal. Are you hopeful that we'll be able to get there? No. I want this whole bitch, to, I want this whole shit to burn down, bro. And, and, bro, I was walking down the street today in Kirkwood, right? Kirkwood used to be one of the most violent neighborhoods in, in, in Atlanta. But due to gentrification, now I can walk down the streets, you know what I'm saying, you know, uh, during the day. So as I'm walking today, uh, it's a wide, it's like a double sidewalk. There's enough room for you to pass, enough room for me to walk. White woman looked me in my eyes, walked in the street just to get back on the sidewalk. Now, these little small microaggressions, kinfolk, like they may not mean nothing to nobody. But they're extremely telling to the social relationship between people. Like, bro, the only way anything's gonna change is that people are fucking uncomfortable. And it's and, and 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 I mean more uncomfortable than seeing a black man walking down the sidewalk walk uncomfortable. You know? Mm. So for me, um, yeah, bro, I I got faith in it, but I also understand that this shit got this shit has to burn down, bro. Metaphysically, mm. not just in the physical, man. The constructs have to, like, the white supremacy, the prison uh, industrial complex, everything, bro, has to be looked at again. Like, why is it like this? And the reason why it's like this is because we've allowed it to be like this, and we were convinced that that's how America worked. And America don't work like that no more. And that's what they fear. That's what they fear. Loss of power. I would say a crazy thing is that, I mean, I think, David, you can attest to this, too, that there are elements of white supremacy in Asian culture too. I mean, you look at whitening creams, you look at just like- Or even just the, the, the anti-black, uh, you know, doctrine within Asian culture. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, I think white supremacy is something that plagued us from way more than just, and people don't realize it. They love to just default it to the Willie List letter or that black people and, and light skin and dark skin and shit. But y'all got the same shit. The darker skin, hey, it's dark skin and Asians, the Mongolians and all them niggas, the Tilla the mm-hmm. Hun and all them, them niggas look like my cousins. I actually have a lot of Asiatic features. If we re- go back to the roots, nigga. So me and David are pretty light skinned. Right. We're, we're Koreans. I'm half Korean. I'm wh- half white, actually. And my wife is, um, she's Vietnamese. And, um, and she's a little bit more dark skinned. And um, I have seen it with my own eyes you know, different looks when we're together. I've seen her being treated differently and seen different um, issues come up because she is an Asian American with darker skin. And I think that this, this issue of complexion, this issue of, of white supremacy is just so incredibly prevalent. And so we're just so accustomed to it. Like, it's just so natural. It's the normal. And, and, in a way that's given me some empathy for people who don't realize it's an issue because when that has been taught to you since you were a kid that this is the normal it's it's hard to to think think it's not and and it really will take a lot of time but in addition to time it's going to take concerted efforts and a willingness to change and evolve from people in order to break out of all this and an uncomfortable honesty 
as well because mm-hmm. that's not the easiest thing to talk about. It's not the easiest thing to identify. And I think thing is, is like black issues are so on front street. You know, you don't really see the inner workings of, you know, the Asian dynamic. You know, you hear uh, you got to make all A's and be mean, better work hard to get an A. Or you see crazy mm-hmm. rich Asians and then it's just this uh, this other um, stereotype that all Asians are well off. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it, it, it's, it's truly everybody has to take responsibility for this, man. And, and I think the biggest part of it is on a, on a social level where you have to denounce the people in your family. You have to show, like, it's certain things that you can get to your family that CNN ain't going to get to your family. It's a certain education that you guys can give to your older people, like, to not be like that. Like, mama, don't, like, that's not cool. Or, or pops, you know what I'm saying? Like, that, that's really not cool. You're going to lose a lot of people you love, but, like, was that love? <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> like, is it real love? Or, you know what I'm saying? And I think... I would say real love, you have to do that. No, for sure. For sure. And if you love your people, you got to love your people enough to want to see them do better and not want to see them do that same, you know, regurgitated bullshit that we've been taught, man. And, and I think a lot of it is going to take old white people dying off and their, and their principles and the things that they, you know, established dying off along with them. And then this new generation getting older. So, what we have to focus on is that the people that's coming up after us are given more of a sense of understanding of self and everybody around them. And I think in that, of course, old ideas are going to die when, when the old people die, you know what I'm saying? And we have to make sure that when they gone, what, what will be the history that we tell next? You know, will those same history books from 2005 still be adequate in 2021? Fuck no. Mm. They called slave, they called, the people that were enslaved in America, indentured servants in, in the new textbooks. There's a complete... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read stuff about that. There's yeah. a complete erasure of the actual culture because people are, you know, they they, they embarrassed. They embarrassed. They, they don't want to mm-hmm. say it how it was. But they say how it was, it'll make them out to be the monsters that we know them to be. Not all of them, mm-hmm. but the construct and the people that reinforce mm-hmm. it. I think women's health is one of the things that's really... The, one of the most important things in our society and it ain't nothing but white men passing legislation on it. If you don't have a vagina, why are you talking about women's health? It don't make sense. <laughs> I don't know what y'all need. Some six, seven mm-hmm. days, some days five, some days three. I don't know what's going on. Y'all obviously know more <laughs> of what's going on than I do. So it's just a lot of things and then we just gotta ask ourselves like, bro, what the fuck are we doing? What the fuck are we doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to I think that's a really important point to make with when you're trying to be an ally with uh, with a movement that you're not not readily involved in. You got to give space for the people that are that are part of that demographic because they're just going to understand it in a way that you don't. And a lot of it is going to be you trying to learn from where where they're coming from and then just see what kind of space you can find to to help to to give a platform to work with people and you got to have people that are actually a part of it and in, in part of the, the change, the organization and, and trying to see where you need to go. Cause they know they they're, they're part of it. No, for sure, man. For sure. Yeah. And I think a lot of that starts with good leadership. You know, I know Ricky, you touched on this earlier, you know, it starts with good leadership in the household and then the community and expanding from there. Um, and touching on that subject of leadership uh, we are in an election year. And we're 
four months out from election day. And right now it looks like it's going to be between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Uh, but actually over the weekend, July 4th weekend, we had a surprise uh, announcement of a, a new candidate running for president, Kanye West. Um, and actually not his first time, not his first time announcing his presidency. He's announced in 2015 uh, at the MTV um, MTV Music Video Awards. And I think he's gone on Twitter a few times to announce it as well. Um, but this time he's actually got the endorsement of, of Elon Musk. Um, so I don't know if that's a joke or, if, you know, if, you know, this is going to be something serious. Uh, but Ricky, what do you think about Kanye, man? Bro, until Kanye actually, you know, fills out the, the little form that you have to, to actually declare your presidency, uh, I'm not going to take it seriously. But let's, you know, let's play along with the idea. And, um, you know, Kanye said some very tone-deaf things and some things that probably could have been worded differently. And um, to compare any candidate to the poise of our dear and beloved Barack Obama would be a disservice to um to him mm. so you know as far as the black vote being um encapsulated by kanye and throwing off and getting donald trump in the office again you know i don't know man i think life i think the simulation is fucking broke and I, don't know <laughs> I, I don't know i don't know man i don't know man it could be like really bad it could be terribly bad or it could be extremely well man um i'm pretty much anti-donald trump so anything that gets him out of office, I hope it's not um, replacing it with a, a, another evil. Uh, this is bad. But uh, it's interesting to say the least, man. It's interesting to, say, uh, to see how people have positioned themselves, uh, the things that people have done, namely Kanye, to you know, put itself in these conversations, in these places, sitting down with Donald Trump, uh, even, even, you know, uh, pandering white people in order to, you know, appear less, uh, you know, dangerous. I think, I think this is funny as hell. It's funny as hell to think about. Um, sadly, the future of our country isn't as funny and I'm worried, you know, I'm fucking worried. Uh, I, I don't think Joe Biden has the tools necessary to lead us to a um, post-Trump America. I definitely don't think Kanye possesses what we need in order to um, bring these things together. Be lit though. But I, I, I guess, I guess we'll see. You know what I'm <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'd like to, the can't tell me nothing Kanye rather than the um, Jesus is Lord Kanye, but hey, you know. Yeah, we missed the old Kanye. Yeah, nah, for real. All right, we'll do old Kanye 2020. Yeah, <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, for sure. Nah, the old yay, old yay 2020. <laughs> Yeah, I'm with that. I'm, I'm with. I'm with that. I'm with that. Yeah. Well, shoot, Ricky. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to uh, to talk with us here on the Sound of Water podcast. We are so blessed to have you for our very first guest. I, I think we had some great conversations. Thank you for spilling your mind a little bit. And, Definitely, um, man. And how about you, uh, if you just got some closing thoughts, um, you know, just tell the people what you want to say and make sure to uh, give us your, your plugs and everything. Yeah, man. Uh, man, closing thoughts. Um, Be Like Water, the name of the podcast, man. Um, shout out Bruce Lee. Shout out to everybody who's being, um, you know, a ch the change that they want to see 
I think if we all just pay attention to our, the fires in our own backyard, the world being on fire could, you know, be less important. We can all, you know, chip in to uh, quench the flames. Um, also, you know, just be a human. Stop, stop, stop leaning on your prejudices and and how you feel like people are, and just you know, talk to people. Uh, don't walk off the sidewalk when you see black people walking towards you because they don't want to rob you. And and white women, when you grab your purses, I never thought of robbing you until the moment that you thought I was going to, and then it became slightly more, you know, appealing, <laughs> the idea. So, uh, yeah, man, just be a person. Stop being a fucking robot. Ask questions. Challenge authority. Fuck authority. And, you know what I'm saying? Like, stand up for what you believe in. Infy. And, yeah, Ricky, uh, yeah, Infy, Infy, Infy. Uh, Ricky Blue everywhere, man. We got hella projects dropping. I, I, don't, I think I might drop five more projects this year. So, hey, look, look, it's lit. It's really lit, and it's forever lit. Love you guys, man. Love you too, brother. Thank you again, man. All right, man. Yeah, no thank problem, you so much. No problem. no problem, man. Thank you guys for giving me the um, – the platform. I appreciate the opportunity to, you know what I'm saying, show the, the many uh, uh, faces of Ricky Blue. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely enjoyed it, brother. Thank you so much. Much love. All right, bro. Yeah, have a good one, Peace. man. Well, yeah. mm-hmm. Peace. Yeah. What up, what up, what up, yeah. Hey. 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 Don't lay repeating myself. Hey, big headed, who said they hot as the boy? You lacking on racking up, hey. Bad back start tagging, not rational spazzing. Don't give no fuck labels and shit. Hey, the old way don't work. Or you just not real enough. I don't need writers count. They had no clue what's happening. If he attacking them, and I put that on my flag. Hey, bitch, I went off while you mad. Whoa, boy, watch some snakes in your grass. I put my pots on that gas. Feel like the rizzo, I splash. Took that whole game in the flash. This shit right here ain't no bad. If you not burst, boy, you last. Shaking back, Ricky, go fast. Fuck the background, me my cash. The homie not mad enough. Fuck up my zone, I ain't mad enough. This what he play for us. Watch how you handle us. Bitch, don't apologize. I will not pay for no damages. Dog, it's a ride. Hey, hope you packed up the bandages. If he the bandits, the product is probably with all this shit. Twenty keep on killing us like we deserve this shit. Fuck them then. Don't read Miranda's. Have you gon' shoot when I hands up? Yeah. Swepping on extras, you see me, but what you so scared of? Wait, Congress don't love us. If not us, then tell me who love us. Hey, they kill us in public, but we ride the like we lunch. Oh man, I ain't never gave a fuck, my nigga, me neither. Hey, little bro, be easy. Hey, mama told me as a young and it don't stop coming. Hey, hey, little homie, keep breathing. Hey, shit, and all I make it happen ever since the day my day. Hey, throw a nigga in the deep end. Hey, and everything happened for a reason. Why niggas fall? I don't know. I don't need them. Hey,